CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, everybody. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, and it is time for Options Action. Your traders tonight are Carter Worth and Tony Zhang on set. We got Mike Coe, of course. He is live from CNBC One Market in San Francisco. And we've got a big show on deck. Here's what's coming up. Carter rides the train. You can, too. Carter rides the train. You can, too. Yes, Mr. Worth sets up a play to get aboard Union Pacific. Then... If you thought your timing wasn't quite that good, Tony Zhang has some updated, well, intel on Intel. Plus, what is it the kids say again? Mike Coe is going to grill you on a way to chill around Netflix earnings. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts now. All right, welcome back. Let's get down to it. We begin with the transports. Like the markets hitting new highs, companies like Kansas City Southern, Norfolk Southern, FedEx, Union Pacific, leading the group as earnings season is about to kick off. But Carter Moore says that one of these names is likely to pop more when it reports its results next work. He's at the plasma. Who is that name, Carter Worth? Sure. So actually, interestingly, of course, the Dow Jones Transportation Index has not yet made a new all-time high, but it is making 52-week highs to be determined. But railroads, it's a big part of uh, the transport index, in addition to names like uh, FedEx and UPS. But here is the railroad index. It's only four stocks, names you know, like Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern, KSU. Let's draw some lines. Is it this? It has all the elements of that. But let's do it a few other ways. So we plunge 17%, we recover 23%. And over the past eight months, what we've really done is only gone up two and a half. You've only gone up two and a half percent in eight months, which is to say it couldn't be extended if you've made no progress, despite the straight down and straight back up. It's all very symmetrical, right? In fact, the time spent down, the time spent back up, put a line on the top, and it has all the elements of a very well-defined level and a breakout. You can draw the line so many different ways. Call it a wedge, call it an ascending triangle, call it whatever you want. It's breaking out, and it's made no progress in almost a year, and that's the important thing. Look at Union Pacific, the big name. It's the exact same setup because it's the biggest name in the group. Here is a long-term chart, no lines or annotations by me, and here, I think, is how one would draw the lines. And what we know, off the line to the penny, to the penny, to the penny, and we have been coiling, and we are just now breaking out. Union Pacific on the long side, pretty straightforward setup. Okay, Carter. So, Mike Coe, what do you think? What's the trade here? Yeah, so this is an interesting situation. We had CSX report this week. Their results weren't phenomenal, but the group has performed very well. Actually, UNP is up over 4% this week alone. And actually, when we see situations like that, frequently, if you're looking to get into a name, you might use something like a risk reversal, where you sell a downside put, buy an upside call, so that you're not caught chasing by purchasing the stock at these levels. 
However, of course, since they're also going to be reporting earnings next week, we want to take a look at the implied move. They're implying a move of about 3.5% when they average closer to 3. That suggests that the weekly options might be a little higher price than they might otherwise be. So I'm trying to incorporate a calendar element here as well. So the trade, quite simply, if it seems simple, there's three legs to it, but here we'll get to it, is selling next week's 177.5 put and the 190 call. So that's a strangle. We're going to collect $2.25 for that. We're going to use those proceeds to help finance the purchase of a longer-dated call, the May 190 calls for 605. Net-net, I'm spending $3.80. Now, the interesting thing here, of course, is that by selling that 177.5 put, I could potentially be put the stock. But where I'm going to be put the stock would be at that 177.5 level. That's essentially where it began the week. So this is how we're sort of mitigating the fact that the stock has rallied so much this week. Of course, then we have the calendar effect. So if the stock sort of sits here... That, straddle, that strangle is going to decay away. We're going to get to essentially finance the purchase of that longer-dated call, give ourselves a nice setup to take a bullish bet with mitigating the risk to the downside over time. So let's talk about this trade, right? It's a fairly complex trade. It's seemingly selling a straddle and then buying a call option. But I think the best way Mike's brought it, brought it up is actually selling a put and then buying a call calendar, allowing you to potentially buy the stock at a lower price, around 177.5 if the stock does trade lower, which is well below that $180 support level that's that's the stock currently has. And then if the stock does rally, you get to participate to the upside with that call calendar. I, I really like this. And one of the things, just to put it in, back to technicals, is that it isn't it identical to Hormel? And what in the heck does spam have to do with railroads? That's the point. Great technical junctures are great technical. Do they work always? Of course not. But we repeat the setups, play the cards the same way when the opportunities look the same. You are news agnostic, as they might that say. You're correct. looking at these lines. And, and Mike's trade, which, which Tony, the one thing I'll say you said it was complicated. Uh, is it overly complicated? So I, I just think that it's the way that you look at it. Because if you break it down into a short put and a calendar, those are trades that we talk about all the time. But if you think of them as selling a straddle and buying a call, that's when it can seem complex. Mike, how'd you come up with this idea? <laughs> well, basically, I was taking a look at a couple of things. Where did the stock move up from at the beginning of the week? Right around 178. So would I be happy to buy the stock there based on the bullish technical thesis that Carter has outlined? Yes. And I don't like chasing it up 4.15%, which is how much it's rallied this week. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, when you see nearer dated options that are overpriced, relatively speaking, these ones are, you want to sell those. Of course, buying longer dated options is very often a good way to hedge that risk. So we like calendar spreads. So essentially, being willing to own the stock at 177 was part of it. And liking calendar spreads going into earnings was another part of it. Okay, Mike Cope, good stuff. All right, let's turn now from transports to tech. Chipmaker Intel reporting earnings next week. Stock, though, really has been iced out of the red-hot rally in tech. I mean, the stock's up over the year, but it's lower this year, and it's underperforming the semiconductor index basically by half. But if you're betting on an Intel turnaround, Tony Zhang has a play on INTC. What is it? So I like the chart set up here on Intel because this stock spent a bit of time below the $53 resistance level, finally broke out above that in October, and has traded higher now and consolidated just below the $60 resistance level. And I see next week's earnings release as a potential catalyst it needs to get above that threshold. Now, if we look at this from a relative perspective, this stock certainly has underperformed the market and the semiconductor group. However, that has stabilized a little bit over the last couple of months, and this recent relative strength is typically 
would I like to see going into an earnings release. And if we flip over to the earnings itself, I think the bar has been set relatively low on this particular earnings cycle. And if we look at the analyst revisions going into this particular week, things have looked things have started to look a little stronger. So I do think that this is pointing to potentially a modest beat on Intel. So the way I'm looking to play this here, because the implied volatility is very high, is to sell a short-term put credit spread here on this particular name. I'm actually going out to February 28th, which is a weekly option to sell the 69.5, 66.5 put credit spread. Um, I'm selling the 69.5 for about $2.15 and paying about a dollar for that 66.5 put, collecting net net $1.15 in credit on a $3 wide credit spread. So I'm getting a little bit more than one third of the width. And the break even price on this particular uh, strategy is 58.35. So as long as this stock stays above that level, I'm profitable. And if this stock does get a little pop on earnings, I get to take profit on this by this time next week. Okay, Mike Cohen, San Francisco, what do you think? So I, I like this trade for several reasons. One of them is what Tony just outlined, which is that the hurdle is probably not that high. Take a look at basically what the analysts are saying about Intel right now. You basically have a, as many holds as you have buys. You also have nine sells on the stock. That is unusually bearish for Intel. I mean, we know that analyst ratings generally tend to skew bullish, but they're not particularly here. The average analyst price target is essentially right where the stock is currently trading. And it's trading at about 13 times forward earnings, so it's about half the valuation of the S&P. So a lot of bad news for Intel has already been priced in. The other thing I like about it goes to the option strategy itself, which is that we like to sell credit spreads when we can. It's rare that you get an opportunity to sell a downside put spread and collect you know, better than a third of the distance between the strikes, which is actually what Tony is collecting here. You know, He's getting $1.15 on a $3 wide put spread. That's the kind of credit spread that you usually get by selling call spreads. So that stacks up very favorably. And you're selling a credit spread, a put spread, rather than just outright puts, because there are risks to the stock. And of course, if the announcements after earnings prove to be fairly negative, you're protected by owning that downside put, and you've limited your risk that way. I mean, one thing that is very positive for the setup, of course, is that the stock gapped nicely on mm-hmm. its last quarter, and gaps typically come in twos or threes. And I would expect this to gap again. It would clear the highs and much better long way. What is that? What are the gaps come in twos and threes? So how do you get a gap? You get a gap because the earnings results are so much better or worse than the street. Or there's had, some other material or, 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 news. Sure, FDA approval for a drug will do yeah. it, too. But rank-and-file stock that gaps up on earnings or gaps down, it means that this consensus estimate was much too low or too high. When the street is behind something, they typically stay behind for a while, so you actually beat and surprise again. You can only do that about three times. At some point, people move their estimates up so much that you actually... They figure you out. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's fascinating. It is. I'm, I love the show because I learn. There you go. For everything Options Action, I'm going to do it tonight. Look go to the website optionsaction.cnbc.com and by the way while you're there if you want sign up for the newsletter in the meantime here's what's coming up next coming up some stranger things are happening with netflix options what mike co is about to explain could turn your world upside down plus calling all options action fans reach into your pocket grab your phone and tweet us your question at options action if it's nice we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Well, it was another big week for streaming media. And our company, CNBC parent Comcast, raising the curtain on our streaming service for NBC called Peacock. Let's get to Julia Borston now with all the details. Julia. Brian, that's right. NBC Universal's Peacock is looking to be a new version of broadcast TV, but for the Internet age. Peacock looking to differentiate from the crowded landscape of on-demand subscription services, not just with its free ad-supported option, but also with early access to late-night shows, live Olympics coverage and live breaking news, and exclusive access to Universal's films, starting with the studio's 2020 slate. Now, analysts are largely bullish on Peacock's focus on growing demand for digital video ads and offering an alternative to subscription overload. Wedbush analyst Dan Ives says, quote, we believe given the massive content library, sports properties, and distribution footprint that these subscription numbers are conservative. Guggenheim with a buy rating saying we believe Comcast's strategy of offering premium content with an ad-supported model sets it apart from its peers. But Guggenheim also points out that the product could have a negative impact on Comcast's linear video business or its TV subscriptions. Now, NBC Universal forecasts between 30 million and 35 million active Peacock accounts by 2024. That's less than HBO Max's forecast of 50 million global subscribers and Disney Plus's of at least 60 million subscribers worldwide by then. Now, to put those numbers in context, Netflix has over 160 million global subscribers. Comcast hasn't announced Peacock's international rollout plan yet, so we'll have to see when they make that move overseas. Now, Netflix will report its earnings Tuesday afternoon after the bell. The company's expected to grow its revenue 30 percent and its earnings per share by 74 percent. Brian? All right. What are some of the other key numbers that we want to watch from Netflix next week, Julia? Well, Brian, with Netflix, we're always watching subscriber growth. And the key number is the global subscriber edition number. The company itself forecast that it would add 7.6 million subscribers and 600,000 of those would be here in the U.S. Brian, remember a couple quarters ago, Netflix actually showed declining subscribers here in the U.S. So that that U.S., they're going to do U.S. and Canada together this quarter. That number will very much be in focus. Okay, Julia Borston. Julia, thank you very much. Well, if you think that Netflix is going to move higher on those results, Mike Coe has a way to play it with his call to action. Mike, take it away from San Francisco. Yeah, so looking at Netflix, the king of uh, sort of the streaming video on-demand services, you know, Comcast looks very cheap. They're rolling out a product that could obviously be very promising for them. Disney is certainly a lot cheaper than Netflix. If you own Netflix, something you might also consider is substituting what I'm going to talk about here for the long stock that you own, and here's why. When we look out to next week, we're seeing that options are much cheaper than they usually are going into earnings. In fact, how much cheaper? There's only two times in the last 10 years we've seen options as cheap as they are right now. Now, that was in 2014 and in last year when they were reporting their second quarter results. Both instances actually saw steep drawdowns in the stock, 20% in 2014, 10% when they reported their second quarter results late last year. So if you take a look at it, that's obviously a risk that you have. The thing is also that the stock has moved very sharply off of its recent lows. We've seen an increase in the price 
of about 30 plus percent. And finally, when we take a look at earnings, moves of less than 3% or so are quite uncommon in the stock. So let's just take a look at the distribution of results that we've seen in this thing, give you some sense of the kind of movement. This basically shows the kind of price action that we've seen over the course of the last decade. You can see that there have been declines of as much as 15%, increases of close to 20%. When you see that kind of movement, that's when optionality really kicks in. So specifically, the trade I was looking at was just going out and buying the weekly 340 calls. This isn't a strategy we usually look to because that is kind of expensive in most cases. And in this case, these options aren't cheap. They're $11.75. But consider that in the context of a $340 stock price and, and also the types of moves that we've seen. It's rare that you get an opportunity to basically mitigate your risk if you're making a bullish bet going into earnings on a stock that's as volatile as Netflix. And, of course, it's seeing a lot of competition. They have the highest content spend. So if you consider it, you know, the news could be good. It could also be bad. We could see some big moves. This is a way to make a bullish bet, not risking a lot of the current stock price. Okay, a big move there on Netflix. So, Tony, what do you make of that? So I'm actually surprised that options are this cheap on Netflix going into earnings. I really quite like the setup, though. You know, we talked about the streaming wars and concerns about Netflix uh, last year. Towards the end of last year, they really sold off. But I think that's really resolved itself, especially after Disney Plus having launched and then Netflix still having this type of uh, price movement over the last few weeks and last few months. I really think that this stock can and blow it out of the water in terms of earnings. I think this thing can at least fill that gap up to 360. And with a call option, easy way to play that. So Tony's referring to a, a really substantial drop in gap in the chart, news-related, and often gaps are filled. What we do know is that there's considerable overhead supply above, right, so that you've got almost six months of trading where people who bought poorly, who then sustained losses, if given the chance to be made whole, would like to take their money back. And that's the definition of overhead supply. So were you to get to that gap, you'll encounter considerable overhead supply, but you don't even have to get there. It also can kind of start here. So the burden of proof for now is on the bull. The bears just have to point to something that's been a relative dog for a while. All right. Good stuff. Netflix numbers, by the way, out next week. All right. Coming up, one stock surging this week and making one of our traders very happy. I'll tell you about it. And do you have an options question you're dying to ask? Tweet us at Options Action, and you just might get your answer on the air. As always, live from the NASDAQ market site, and we're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Options Action. It is time now to look back at one of our open trades. Last week, both Mike and Carter said that shares of American Express were likely to move higher. Listen. You also have this working into, and quite perfectly, right? It stops to the penny. It stops to the penny. It stops to the penny, to the penny. And here we are yet again. Quite right. Play for the breakout. So many stocks have already broken out. Amex is poised to do just that. I'm a buyer. What I was taking a look at was an upside calendar spread, the February-April 130 call calendar. You could spend $1.65 for that. Well, they nailed it. Shares of American Express jumping nearly 3% since that call. Mike and Carter, congratulations both. So, Mike, what what are you doing with the trade now? 
Yeah, so we'll obviously have to defer to Carter for his technical view. I mean, this has been a pretty orderly melt-up in the stock that we've seen. And the thing I would point people to is the fact that it still remains relatively cheap. And we're talking about a stock that's trading at less than 15 times full-year estimated earnings. One of the things that we wanted, of course, was for the stock to drift up to 130 or even slightly beyond it. It has already done that in the short time since last week. I might actually be interested in buying back that February call. It's actually not going to basically cost us anything to do that and just hanging on to the longer dated call at this point. Things are basically working in our direction. The thesis is looking good so far, and I think this is a way that we can actually hold a bullish bet for a longer period of time. Right, sure. So a couple of things. One, it's still early in the goings. Two, a 3% move, while nice, uh, you can have a much bigger move. Three, if you think about the stock being at 131 relative to where it was in July at 128, hasn't moved much in eight months, so we can't call it extended. And then for part of the premise here was that this was a catch-up trade uh, with the market in general, and it's a, a Dow Jones 30 sort of heads you win, tails you win. If it's going to play catch-up, it's going to play catch-up. We think that's happening. And it will actually offer some defensive characteristics in the event that the market encounters trouble. So I like buying back this short call and holding on to that long call for, for extended moves on American Express because I particularly like the, the payment space here. If you look at other payment providers like G, uh, Global Payments, you know, Amex is actually quite similar to that from the perspective, unlike Visa and Master, where they make 70 80% of their, their money on on interest, American Express predominantly makes their money on payments, very similar to, so I think American Express could trade at a significantly higher multiple. Mike, final comment to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would also point out, MasterCard and Visa are obviously trading at much richer multiples. In fact, that's generally true in the payment space. American Express, to the extent that they have any credit risk, they have much better creditworthy borrowers. So, I mean, I rather like American Express. I like buying stocks that are cheaper than the market overall. And, of course, you're trying to catch up to a market that just won't stop. So I think this, you know, just owning that longer dated call is a risk-mitigated way to continue to hold a bullish bet here. Okay, up next, your tweets and the final call. All right, welcome back. Time to take your tweets. Last week, Tony, you laid out a trade on Delta, and one fan asked, what is the best way to manage a call calendar when the underlying runs through your strikes? So this is very similar to the American Express trade that we talked about, but earlier this week what I did is I just bought back my short call because I have an extended bullish view on Delta, and I want to take advantage of that in my long call. The only thing I will say is that if you expect that move to happen over a longer period of time, you might want to roll that out to March or April. All right, time now for the final call. Mike, let's start with you out west. Netflix options are cheap going into earnings. That's a way to risk less, making bullish bets. Okay. Carter Worth? American Express, stick with it. Union Pacific, get with it. <laughs> get with it. A new position, UNP. Yep. You're bullish, optimistic. Yep. Okay, Tony Zhang? Intel, looking to sell some high elevated implied premium going into earnings. To look for a breakout. And if it gaps, I learned something. The gaps once... You might get a second or often do. Often a third. Or a third. Learn some. Carter Worth, thank you very much. Thank you for watching here today. We'll see you next week. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.